Hi, folks. Welcome to the Cyber Chaps Podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington. I'm the host of the, pod, the podcast Transformative Principle and author of this book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education, and I now help schools redesign their learning environments. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyber Ethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and the misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the nation's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, cyber safety, and more. Today, we're actually talking to a mother-daughter team, so this should be fun. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. Hey there, Jethro. Well, good morning. Good to see you. You too. I am very pleased to welcome, I think, our first joint interview team to the Cybertraps <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. I would like to introduce Lita Schmidt and her daughter, Caitlin Schmidt, who will be talking to us today about the introduction of technology uh, into the family, a little bit of technology history, which is always right up my alley. And I think this will be particularly interesting for folks to get a child's perspective on how the introduction of technology went. So just as a little bit of background, uh, Lita is a retired corporate intranet training and documentation professional who got her start when PCs replaced terminals at work and hard drives were optional. I remember those days. Uh, she worked for a Fortune 200 pharma company in end-to-user end support programming and corporate intra-internet connectivity before ditching her comfy cubicle for a 20-year career as a consultant. During that period, she traveled around the country as a certified instructor for Novell and A-plus certification, as well as a tech writer and trainer for pharma sales reps and clinical trial organizations. Her daughter, Caitlin, is a recent college grad, an actor, and a specialist in conference AV technology, primarily in Nashville. So welcome to the two of you. Thank you for having Great us. to be here. Oh, this is really fun. So we're going to just launch right into the history piece, Lita. I'm going to give you a chance to kind of set the stage for us. Do we and need to do a content warning for nerdiness now? I think, <laughs> I think it's appropriate. Well, you know, it's I, funny because I, I actually have some of these computers still in my house in a box. So, you know, I still have a TRS-80 computer and it uh, doesn't even have a model number on it because it, it wasn't even... You know, they didn't even have model one, two, three, even though it was a model one, they didn't know they were going to make more with its cassette drives. And so, yeah, I still have some of those things. <laughs> See, this is right up my alley. And honestly, Jethro, I thought you slapped that label on all of our podcasts. Yeah, no so. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, anyway, Lita, I, I'm curious about this. And I think it's a great lead in, you know, particularly since it's your daughter joining us. And there's some wonderful issues that arise out of that. But what was it like really to get involved in technology when you did? I mean, what drew you to it? First of all, I had a degree in computer systems. Ah, and okay. when I was there, I got some great advice from an instructor, from a teacher who had told me, whatever you do, the future is going to be about consulting. Mm. 
So whatever job you decide you're going to do, just make sure you can do it as a consultant. And so I thought, okay, you know, I did it the programming piece. I really didn't, wasn't much of a programming person. I didn't like that because, you know, I'm not someone that likes to sl- sit in an office and slide a pizza under the door ever so often. But I did find like when PC started kicking in that, you know, you were installing them and they were quick and easy to do as well as also doing training. And I started working at a Radio Shack that was actually a Tandy computer center. CompUSA ended up being what they turned into eventually. But yeah, I started there and they didn't have any floppy drives. You had to say, I want one floppy drive or two floppy drives, or you know what, I want a hard drive in it. And people would come in and buy the computer and then I'd put them together and then I'd take them out to their house and teach them how to use it. So um, that's how I got involved in it. It was just, it was a natural thing for me because I, I liked doing training and I liked doing installation, but I didn't want to do too much of one or the other. Well, that actually lines up pretty well with my own personal PC experience because I got my first PC when I was a junior in college and we had those same options offered to us. But I'll never forget this, that the cost of the PC, which was an old IBM 5150, the big old gray box, that was like $3,000, which they would put on your tuition bill, which was great. So I could kind of, you know, pay it off over time. But if I wanted a hard drive, a 10 megabyte hard drive, that was going to be another three thousand dollars. So um, did you have did did you do a hard drive or a hard card? uh, We did not have hard cards. We ended up with two 256 kilobyte uh, floppy drives, five and a quarter inch. Wow. Yeah. That, that's pretty much all you can say. So anyway, let's move on from the reminiscing part of this. Um, at some point in, in your work, uh, the technology moves on, and it sounds like you started to see some extra equipment lying around, and, and you brought it home, right? Yeah. You know, I was working for a pharma company, and, you know, I'd worked in end-user support, and then I ended up in telecommunications, and then we moved up to New Jersey, And I started uh, in a department that was training. And then after I worked there for, I can't remember, maybe two years or so and started doing the Novell training. And then I kept getting phone calls from people that I'd worked for in the pharmaceutical company that were in sales forces. And they, there was an oncology immunology division that was kind of unique to a normal sales force because they had, you know, nurses and pharmacists and doctors that were retired. They weren't your typical pharmaceutical sales force and they, no one knew how to handle them. So they asked me if I would essentially be their training department. So that's what I did. And every time that I trained, you know, every two years, all of the soft, all of the hardware would depreciate out. And then they had, you know, hundreds of these laptops and they would ask me if I wanted any. So I always grabbed like six of them. I'd have six in the house. And so Katie got her first laptop when she was three. So unlike most people at that time, they pretty much had, a, you know, desktop machines were what people had. And, you know, they were in the kitchen and people would sit around and take turns at the, at the desktop machine instead of having a laptop. But uh, not Katie. She had her laptop. And I remember whenever she went to daycare at my husband's work and she was like four years old and they have those little parent teacher conferences. And so she'd already been using a laptop for a year, mouse, you know, the whole deal. And uh, the guy, 
the teacher was, she said, you know, she does okay on a computer, but she really needs to improve on her math skills. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's been using a computer for over a year. And what they did is they had one of those toddler ball the things. Ball. That was like mm -hmm. a, you remember that, Kate? Yes, I do. Yeah, it was, yeah and, and so trying to operate this because it was for toddlers to be able to use a mouse, they thought it would be easier. And instead of her, you know, she'd already been using a mouse for over a year, a regular, you know, adult mouse. And so it was cumbersome, I think, for her to learn how to use it. But it's kind of That's funny. actually a great story. I, you know, it's funny because those, those toddler ball tracking things eventually became very popular with gamers. Um, yes. As a, as oh, really? <laughs> Do you remember that, Katie? Well, I've, uh, I don't remember that. I'm not a gamer, but I have seen people with those in their, in their rooms and such. Yeah. They have all these different versions and, and it's like, it's a gamer thing now. That's really insane. They can move incredibly fast. I have one son who's a little bit of a gamer, the other one, not far behind, honestly. And they get very, um, <laughs> they get very caught up in the whole equipment piece of thing, but well, that's another show altogether. Um, so Katie, yeah, you have tell to talk me, to what, Riley for that. Yeah, well, happy to have him on. But but Katie, can you? I mean, how far back do you really remember the the technology? I mean, do you remember the kind of when your mom started to introduce the laptops and what you do on them? So I don't remember ever a time when computers weren't in my life. I mean, I remember I didn't get a phone until later in my life, but computers were always around. I always was familiar with them. They're in pretty much each room. Like my, I had one in my room, Riley had one in his dad had one in the basement. Mom had one in her office and another portable one somewhere. So I, I always remember being around computers. I always remember my mom being the person I could ask any question about. And she would, she would know everything I had to say. I, I had a, I, I didn't know. Um, my first memories were definitely just playing little CD games with my mom and dad sitting next to me. And uh, I remember, what were some of them called, mom? Do you remember what they were called? It was like Putt-Putt or something. Freddy, there was Freddy Fish and Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo. I remember Putt-Putt. That's a great one. Yeah. Freddy Fish was a fun one, too. Uh, he had like Freddy Fish and the Conch Shell Mystery or... Uh, but, you know, whenever they did those games, we never used them as the computer as a babysitting device. That wasn't, you know, when they were little, we always made those games like a family thing. So we would sit down and, you know, watch her play it and talk about the game as it was going on. Because I just, you know, I just, I don't know. When I looked at computers, I didn't want them to be something that my kids did instead of interacting with a family. So um, those were always social events. So yeah, we always really, had to ask permission. Yeah, Alita, how, why, and how did you make that decision that you wanted to to be a a family event? Because that is pretty similar to my experience growing up. I'm a little bit older than Katie, but you know, we would all gather around the computer and play games, and it and it was pretty fun. I don't know if my dad was there so much as as my siblings, but. That was a, a big thing for us. So how did you know that's what you wanted, Lita? Well, you know, I there were friends that we had that we would go out to eat with. And the first thing they would do is break out a DVD player for their kid to watch a movie while we were eating. So I knew that I didn't want my kids to be separate from the parents. 
So we had certain rituals around the house, like, you know, Katie will remember like dinner was something where there's no devices turned on and you're sitting down having a meal and you're asking about how that, how was your day? And, you know, making it more about what you were talking about, about your day, things that you did and learning each other, you know, getting to know each other and interacting as a family unit. And so that pretty much carried over into computers. I didn't want it to be something that, you know, I just gave my kids and they went in some room and, you know, I was like, finally, I can watch my show. I wanted it to be something that we interacted as a family just to get to know each other. And and I really believed that, you know, it showed respect for each other, um, you know, me for them, them for me, we're both important in each other's lives. And, you know, thinking later, I think that that, uh, help set some values for, you know, whenever we talked about computers, what I wanted them to not access and not do. And if I said, hey, I don't think you ought to be using this particular app, I think that, you know, that mutual respect was built from when they were younger, knowing that we were part of a family unit. So, Katie, do you feel like those values were communicated clearly to you or was that just how we did things in our family? I would say it was more just how we did things in the family. It wasn't, I don't, and mom, you might be able to correct me on this. My memory's not as good, but I don't remember there being a time where she necessarily sat down and spelled everything out, but it was definitely a lot was implicit. A lot was um, just like, it was a mutual respect thing. It was me respecting what my mom, how my mom wanted me to interact with the computer. And, and I think that uh, going off what you were saying, mom, I think there's also just a lot of value in being bored and so I think that that was something that you um, did a good job in letting us be bored sometimes and computers and like you were saying, friends having their DVDs that they were giving to their kids at restaurants or in cars or whatever. I remember never having that. And it was, it was, we would just sit in the backseat of a car and stare out the window <laughs> and just be with our thoughts. Right. So I think that there was a lot of value in that for me as well. Just, just not having that quick thing to reach out for is either I was bored or I was figuring out something to do on my own, or I was asking my mom, can I go on the computer with Riley or whatever? So, yeah, yeah I think there was a lot. And we were lucky was... because we were lucky because we had, um, we had friends down the street, you know, she was an athlete, you know, I played softball and, and so both of us always wanted our kids out and about and doing things. And so it really wasn't, you know, you, you had other like-minded people in your neighborhood. And then also with Katie being the oldest and, you know, my friend Maria had three boys and I have Riley. So it's Katie and four boys, but she's the oldest. And so she's my creative actor person and singer. And so it was plays and dancing. And so there were other things that were equally as interesting and, you know, fun to do that they might not be doing at their house uh, that they would do down here, you know, so computers weren't the most exciting thing that they had access to. And, you know, and, and it's like soccer in the backyard, other, other kind of activities. You know, I think you're both raising a really, really valuable point. Uh, actually, Katie, you, you remind me of one of my mother's absolute favorite sayings, which is that your boredom is not my problem. You know, go figure, <laughs> go figure yep. out something to do. And of course, I grew up at a time when, you know, the only entertainment device was the TV. And and at least with me, and less so for each of the younger kids, my, my parents did try to regulate the access to the TV. 
but they really wanted us to go outside. Or if we wanted to sit under a tree and read a book, that was fine too. But, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was really, my, my parents actually really did value boredom quite a bit. And then the other thing I think, Lita, that you're, you're getting towards is, is a concept that I use with parent groups about what I call the least feasible technology, which is slowing down the introduction of technology yeah. until it's absolutely needed because that yeah. gives kids the time to develop other skills, whether it's social skills, interpersonal skills, et cetera. And they're less reliant on, I, I think Katie, what you were sort of alluding to was the sugar high of technology, right? It's it, right. it, 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 absolute instant gratification. Right. I think mom definitely um, took her time with each phase of technology in my life. I always had a computer, but even my introduction to the computer was stagnated. Like I didn't have an email until, I mean, how was, how old was I when I had my first email mom? Well, you probably had your email whenever you started probably middle school, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it was, because that was when you used AIM. We had AOL, you know, and AOL had different uh, age groups that you could be in. And it was because you needed access to the internet to be able to look up research things. But you Mm -hmm. had a computer with computer games and CDs that you could, you know, look up things on, um, I guess, like like encyclopedias or whatever. I had a set of, you know, CD-based encyclopedias. But if you were doing book reports in elementary school, then I went into my computer with you and then we looked them up together. It wasn't. It was very need based. Like I got, I got my phone because I needed one to take when I started taking the bus. I got a Facebook when I needed one because one of the groups I was in in high school required you to have a Facebook to be a part of that social group to know what was going on in meetings. So it wasn't something that I wanted. It was something that, or maybe I wanted it on the side, but it was definitely something that <laughs> I only got when when it was necessary to an extent, I guess. Well, when we were doing yeah, when I show, needed you to have it, <laughs> right? <laughs> when we were doing our show prep, Katie, you alluded to the fact, though, that there was some social cost to that, you know, to the fact that your mother was very deliberate about rolling out the technology. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how you handled it? Probably not well. <laughs> I mean, I remember. I remember friends having cell phones and that started around fifth grade for me. Um, so that would have been around 2005 friends having cell phones and they'd put the cute little phone cases on it. That was like the bunny rabbit. And I thought it was so cute and cool. And I wanted one, I wanted a flip phone and I didn't need one. I mean, I probably didn't even have anyone I could talk to. I think when I finally did get my first cell phone, I had my grandma and my grandpa as a contact <laughs> as two contacts. And I would just call them randomly because they were the only two people I had in my phone. But I remember Facebook was one of the harder ones just because I didn't get a Facebook until I was a junior in high school and kids had my spaces back when I was in middle school. So I didn't really have any online presence until maybe two or three or four years behind everyone around me in my social circle. And I got a lot of people um, giving me a hard time for that. And at the time, it felt like I was missing out on a whole nother world. I was out of the loop on what was cool and what people were talking about. And, you know, if I wanted to get the guy to like me, I couldn't because I didn't have the picture I could post. So I definitely felt like I was out of the loop at the time. But now looking back on it, I'm forever grateful that I didn't have a Facebook until I was 
16, at least 16 years old, um, I don't know that I could have mentally handled it in middle school or earlier years in high school. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about a little bit more about that, Katie. Why do you, why do you think you couldn't have mentally handled it and what would have been, had you had one, what do you think the challenges you, you would have faced would have been? I feel like I would have faced a whole new set of expectations, I guess. In the real world, there were already a level of expectations that you experience in school, that you experience outside of school with friends and friend groups. And I think that if, if I threw social media in the mix, I would have to figure out you know, what standards I needed to achieve, what picture I needed to post, how many likes I had to get. And I think not having it gave me more of a perspective on, on that world being separate from, from the real world, I guess. Um, I think that I would have probably, my self-confidence probably wouldn't have been as strong. Um, I would have just been more reliant on, on, on likes and statistics and social media. And I think it would have been difficult for me to uh, just navigate that world, honestly. And I think that's true with what I see nowadays with like, I have a TikTok right now and I'm old for having a TikTok, but I see girls on TikTok that are probably 12 that are wearing full Kim Kardashian makeup and telling you about some yoga pants that you need to buy. And I think about if I was 12 years old watching this influencer girl my age that knows how to do her hair and her makeup like that and is probably making a ton of money from being an influencer. I mean, how would I even be able to handle my self-worth? I think it would have been really difficult to to feel like I had value at that time. So I'm so grateful that I didn't have it until I was 16, 17 years old. I think it let me um, have a more mature mindset about it. And even now I, at 25, I still get sucked into the, the, the insecurities that come along with social media, but um, I can't imagine not, not being able to distinguish that it's social media and that it's not necessary, that you don't have to have half of your life online. That's that's just such a really great summary, Katie. I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful observation for for parents to think about when they consider letting their kids onto social media. Uh, Lita, you, Lita, you mentioned your son Riley. How um, how much younger is he? He's two years younger than Katie, but three years back in high in school. And and what w- what would you say was his um, kind of introduction to social media like? How did it how did it contrast? Well, you know he he and Katie. I was sitting there thinking that social media was probably a YouTube, right, Kate? I think they yes, both wanted to be us. YouTube stars. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think they yeah YouTube was the thing, and you know you again like what Katie sees with TikTok now. With YouTube, you had people that wanted to be YouTube famous. And whenever they started, uh, they asked if they could have a YouTube channel. And I said, yes, but you can't use your names because I didn't want somebody to be able to search on their names and find their YouTube stuff. So they made up these names that were, you know, funny names. And uh, I think right now, Riley is really glad about that because... I won't say it. <laughs> Riley still has some of his old YouTube stuff out there whenever he would wear wigs and do funny dances. Uh-huh. And he had to be like maybe nine or 10. 
and he has begged them to take it down and he can't remember the password to log in to get it to shut down but nobody can find them because they're not associated with his name but he's worried so it's funny safe stuff well, that, but funny you know lita actually that's a very helpful thing because that that is almost the textbook definition of a cyber trap right it is the unintended consequence of you know fooling around on a service like youtube and you know, there are lots of people, I think, who have gone through adolescence putting content out into the world, and now they're entering into professional careers. And I'm sure many of them do worry what will pop up and whether it will be linked to them in some way. And And my big concern for this entire generation is when the combination of artificial intelligence and AI, excuse me, artificial intelligence and facial recognition kicks in. And this content can, in fact, someday be linked to people. The, you know, these are these are the unforeseen consequences. Mm-hmm. I think we're grappling with, regardless of the username you create, even if you don't include your name. Well, the exactly. Facial recognition, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it's going to happen overnight, and it may not happen because there's no profit motive in it. But from a techno from a technology point of view. Um, that's absolutely possible. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I, Lita, that that actually does lead us to one um, topic that that you raised, which is that you know, with with both your kids to varying degrees and in different situations, you began to set up parameters for technology use. From a parenting point of view, what did you do if those parameters were transgressed in some way? Well, you know. It was pretty much taking the device and putting it on top of the refrigerator. And if they needed to use it, they used it in my presence. So like, you know, Katie had, I don't remember you having anything that she was perfect. She was my perfect. No, I'm sure you had something. (laughs) I love oldest kids like myself. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Riley had a couple things and you know, when you have that first kid, you're really on them and watching things. The second kid comes along, you're like, Hey, Katie, make sure you keep track of what he's doing. Um, but Riley had a couple things, fights that he went to that he shouldn't have phone calls that he made late at night that he, you know, when the phone was supposed to be shut down, cause I mean, you need to have your sleep when you're growing. And so whenever those happened, it was always just a conversation. It wasn't, a, you know, hey, you did the following things and you're in trouble. I didn't want it to be that way. I didn't want it to be confrontational because I view that all of us are on the same team. You know, we all want the same thing. We all want you to grow up to be a good human. And so it was, hey, I happened to notice, you know, you had a couple phone calls, like what was going on? And, um, or if I noticed it was from a number that I recognize, I would say something like, um, so how's Aaron doing? And then maybe he would offer, uh, yeah, he called me the other night and, and I'm sorry if you heard it, but, you know, kind of finding out what the situation was that warranted it and then making a decision like, you know, you're not supposed to be on the phone, you know, after hours, you need your sleep. And so I'm going to have to take your phone and put it on the refrigerator. And it would be a certain length of time based on whether it was, you know, something bad, like, a, you know, a website that he'd gone to or something. Um, or if it was, you know, hey, he was having a tough, Aaron was having a tough day and he needed someone to call, talk to and bounce some things off to, of about a girlfriend that he was, you know, trying to get. 
But, you know, it kind of depended. But, yeah, pretty much things were put in on top of the refrigerator, and they could only use it in front of me. That's That sounds very similar, actually, to my experience. Um, Katie, my son Peter, I think, is is your age. Um, and my other son is a couple of years older. So the dynamic, again, was less pressing for us than I think for parents today. But I remember early on, we, we put a computer in the music room, and that was kind of the common location for it. And for a period of time, we did do uh, just like web monitoring software. And the deal with the kids was, we're not going to block you from going to sites, but I'm going to check this every week or so. And, and there may be things that we need to discuss. And that actually worked pretty well as a restraint on the sites that they would visit. Yeah, so, I, you know, I'm trying to remember if I ever told them things. I know that whenever they had the AOL with the different parameters, I knew that that limited certain websites. I mean, it was mostly these are the websites you can use instead of blocking ones that you can't. And so there were times that I would have to, you know, change their parameters in order for them to get access to things that were, you know, for some class assignment that for whatever reason didn't make that list. But I don't, I don't remember it ever being, you know, confrontational. Uh, right. About I don't websites. remember you having a list of websites that we couldn't go on, but I remember always having the fear that mom had the all seeing eye. And so my, my conscience was at play when I would be on the internet for sure. Uh, that brings up a, a question about how you help them make decisions. You know, a lot of uh, youth today get lost in social media, sure, but then also video games and, um, and things like that. How did you, how, how did you lead to have the conversation with them? And it sounds like it wasn't like a disciplinary conversation, but more of a, a learning conversation about, you know, if they're playing video games too long or, or doing something like that. Yeah, I was lucky because, I mean, they had the little DSs when they were little, but they had so many other things that were interesting that those were not their life. You know, the phones were not their life. They had other things that they enjoyed doing. The computer, going out on the internet, that wasn't their social life. So it was just something that you did periodically. And, you know, Riley was one, like, he was my gamer, and, you know, he had the different Game Boys and the Nintendo systems. Um, but for him, I can remember him, you know, you know, he would play it, like, with his dad. They would play some racing games. I never got him any violent games, but, you know, he would have some racing games, and he and his dad would play them, and then we would do the, whatever that one was that had the wand, you know, had the tennis. We did that one, but he periodically would run into a tear where for a week straight, he would just go for two, three, four hours every day, like if it was off spring break or Christmas. And then he would come out of that and say, wow, I just feel like I wasted an entire week. And so he kind of self-regulated himself because he realized he lost time. Yeah, I, Lita, I think that's so powerful. And that's something that if we trust our kids to come to the right conclusion, they usually will. And part of the challenge we face as parents is that we're not willing to trust them to make their own decisions. And so you trusted him enough to allow him to play in the first place, but then allowed him to 
feel safe enough to say that was a waste of time. And I think that's a really important point that we, that we don't think about enough. Sure. We need to stop them if they're doing something dangerous or if it's, you know, 24 hours straight, that's a certainly a problem, but it, it's amazing that he could see that. And I think that is attributed to your conversations early on about how to use your time effectively. The one, you know, um, there was a lot of, I'm sorry. there was <laughs> I'm a lot sorry. of things when the kids were little, I think that was, uh, you know, giving kids confidence that they can make those decisions. And I, I think about Riley with this one is I could remember, you know, you can't go out in the yard whenever you kick a ball across the street. I don't want you to go across the street and pick up the ball because there might be traffic. And so if you have the ball goes across the street, I need you to come in and get me. So he would come in and get me, you know, kids would come in and get me and I, the ball is over at the neighbor's house and say, I'll go, okay, go ahead make sure you look both ways. And building on that, you know, after several weeks, a month or whatever, I commented to him, I said, you know, I remember every time you go and get the ball, you do such a good job at looking both ways. I don't think you need to do that anymore. I think if the ball goes across the street, that you're just so sharp on that, that you can just handle it on your own. And it's funny because then I would watch him and sure enough, man, that head, cause I bragged on him and he is so totally going to be the best looker on the, on the street traffic to make sure he can get the ball. And years later, Riley commented on that moment to me. And he said, I just remember feeling so proud that I had done such a good job that you gave me more leeway to make decisions. So um, I think, you know, some of those things on how they use computers and how they use technology is based on self-confidence that they've built up when they were younger and other tasks that didn't have anything to do with computers. Well, I think that's a great lesson, Lita. I I will say the one thing that, that I find a little disturbing um, about contemporary technology and actually Katie maybe you can weigh in on this is that it may be harder particularly for young children to to escape from the the uh, addictive capabilities of some of these devices and some of these apps because that's really the way that they are designed and and I think as parents um, it was easier some years ago because they they weren't all quite so addictive. And so I think the fact that Riley had the self-awareness to come out and say, God, that, that feels like a waste of time. I'm a little less clear that someone who's, you know, 10 or 12 might be in a position to say that or, or, or get to that point without more help from parents. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think that someone that is five, you know, or is that young or 10 or 12? Um, nowadays, probably everyone that they go to school with has a cell phone and has an iPad and has a computer and is already living in that world. So I don't understand how parents do navigate that nowadays. At least Riley um, had the perspective of playing sports all throughout elementary school and learned, had a lot of hobbies that he genuinely enjoyed before he started um probably even playing video games to that level. It wasn't like his go-to and he didn't have a community of people. And I'm sure that there's, there's positive elements to that too. I I know a lot of people that um, the way that they socialize, um, especially if they have long distance friendships is by all deciding on a time to get onto some video game um, and and talk over headsets and communicate while they're playing some video game. Um, I'm sure though that Riley having all those other hobbies at that young age um, probably doesn't exist anymore. 
And I think it's not so much that it doesn't exist, but that there's competition for it. And so those other hobbies may be there, but it's so much easier to pick up a device and start playing a game because the device is instantly accessible. And it's something that you can, you know, you can go into for hours on end and be totally lost. And so my kids, for example, um, they, they all really love reading. And so books are something that they can easily get lost in as well. But the difference is, is that the book has an end to it and the technology that they have does not have an end to it. There's always another app or another game or another something that you can play. And I think that that piece about having other hobbies is so important right now that you, you've got to have those other things to do so that you're not constantly wanting to just, you know, jump onto your phone or, or iPad or whatever and, and play some games or video game console. Yeah, I find having creative hobbies because, you know, so much of the sports, you know, they're so regulated and, you know, you know, everybody thinks their kid's going to be, you know, a major league baseball star or whatever. And so you have some tense moments at sporting events, but creativity is where they're in their own head and their own ability to make things and do things exactly like what they want, which a game can't get you. And so I always, you know, like they had cameras early and, uh, you know, Riley was my Lego guy, uh, but they both had cameras and, you know, videotaped and, you know, I think just had, they colored, you know, a lot of creative outfit uh, outlets just to be able to open up that side where you can make your own world. Which a lot of people at my age group would probably consider social media to be a creative outlet. Really? Well, I think that's true, actually, Katie, when you look at, you know, for instance, the popularity of TikTok, right? So much of that is built around dance moves, music choices, so on and so forth. And, and then, you know, Instagram and, you know, is more of a still medium. Uh, you've got YouTube. Yeah, I, I think that's generally true. I, I, Lita, you did make me laugh because I supervised four boys going through T-ball and Little League and yeah. With all due love and respect to my sons, I never thought they were going to be major league baseball players. <laughs> but <laughs> well, but I, I do know what you mean. I, I think that that those kinds of activities are tremendously valuable. Katie, maybe getting to your point, you know, and, and this is something Jethro and I talk a lot about, you know, all of these options I think do exist. And, and there's no question that the competition is intense for kid time. But I, I do think that there's still a role for parental influence and choice about how quickly the competition of digital devices arises. You know, to what extent can parents slow that down? Well, you know, Katie was talking about this the other day because, you know, like, I I worry about TikTok and, you know, some of the devices because it used to be where, like, kids, when they were younger, you know, the websites you kept them from, you didn't want them to go to any porn websites, even though they might have happened on one, but you didn't want them to. But now TikTok, you know, they might use TikTok for dance moves, but there's also porn on TikTok. So from a parenting perspective, I mean, 
I am glad I didn't raise my kids during this era. <laughs> Sorry, Jethro. But uh, <laughs> so many, I, I'm glad so I didn't have that. to go through. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of and mom's I strategies think- was to have me friend her on Facebook so that she could keep an eye on whatever I was doing on Facebook, whoever I was, whatever I was posting, et cetera. Um, and, I, and I told, we were talking about this the other day and I told her, I was like, you know, you can um, mute friends so you can make it, you can be friends with someone, but make it to where they can't see whatever pictures you don't want them to see, or they can't follow your stories. So I'm like, there's our, there's a quick fix to that nowadays, at least. (laughs) Right. And, and Katie, that's a really good point. And when I'm talking to parent groups, one of the things that I try to explain to parents is that there's a, profound difference between being a friend where you're vulnerable to that kind of muting or having login privileges for your child where you can see their entire mm. account. That, that, that is a strategy, but yeah. then that <laughs> probably is more difficult to curate. Cause I know a lot of what worked for me with mom is, is, is definitely a level of respect and, yes. um, and communication that it would have felt more, intrusive, I think, if I had to give her my login information. Absolutely no question. And I think that that there are ages and stages to all of this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that that may right. make sense. If you're going to have a child, for instance, going on Facebook at 13, which is the youngest that they are legally allowed to be on Facebook, in case anybody is not aware of that, um, that that might, it might be appropriate under those circumstances to say, for a little while, I want to be able to log into your account I want to be able to talk things over with you. As time goes on, that may be less necessary, a little bit like chasing the ball across the street, honestly. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. For me with the kids, I, you know, we had things when we were growing up that were secrets, things that we did, people that we talked to, stuff that we saw. I really am okay with my kids doing some of those things that are outside of the limits. Because I think that's a natural process of growing up and, and knowing what your boundaries are because you're trying to push them. So, you know, I don't know if I would have asked to log into her Facebook. I just, because I would have felt like, you know, they're, I don't know, I just want, to, want them to have something where they make mistakes. But also, you kind of can monitor in other areas. Like, like for me, you know, since I look at the phone bill, I can see phone numbers. And then I would look at phone numbers to see, you know, who is calling four or five times a day, because we all had the mean girl, you know, at least I had the mean girl, you know, thing growing up. And, you know, Katie had little moments of it. Um, And so you want to know, is this an issue? And there's just another way of bringing it up for a conversation. Instead of saying, who's calling you? It was more like, so, you know, how are things at school? And, um, are you know, anybody bugging you? Or, you know, just kind of throwing you know, the line out there to see if she has something that she wants to talk about. But I, I don't, I, I don't know. The Facebook stuff is, is interesting. And, and, you know, Katie, Katie was saying the other day, it's like some kids in other countries, that's all they know as the internet is Facebook. Mm-hmm. They access everything through Facebook. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really yeah, interesting. WhatsApp much like, is also. Yeah. Much like you mentioned AOL earlier, that that's how many of us access the internet at a certain point in time, that it was through AOL. And that was our, our gateway to the internet. And I think one of the other things that, that you mentioned is, you know, having kids passwords. Um, there's nothing that stops kids from going and creating a new 
account that is then a secret mm-hmm. one. And as right. a school principal, I dealt with this all the time that, mm-hmm. you know, I'd hear about kids getting in fights on social media and I'd say, well, show it to me. And they would show me something and I'd say, why is this using a different name? Or why is this, why does this say spam at the end of the Instagram account? Oh, well, this is my spam account. And I'd say, well, what does that mean? And they'd say, well, my spam account is the one that's not the public one that I just share with a few close friends and it's private, but the public one is all my best pictures. And this one is all the pictures that I don't think are that great. And then I have another one that is about this. And it's like, they can make, you know, an infinite number of accounts. And that's all that it takes is for them to not trust their parents, not have a relationship with their parents, and then go down a different path and keep things intentionally secret when they know they're doing something wrong, rather than being comfortable enough in their relationship with their parent to actually have that conversation with their parent about mm-hmm. what's going on. There's absolutely right, because no if question. your parent has your log and then it's like the only person you're answering to is your parent versus yourself. I was Jethro, I'm sure you can speak to this. My roommate is a high school teacher and she talks about the kids in her class that can't focus on a test because they need to like listen to music at the same time. And, and I'm like, well, how, how do they, cause they have iPads as textbooks yeah. And I was like, so all your kids just have iPads on their, on their desks right now while you're teaching in front of them. And they're supposedly following along on the textbook. And she's like, no, I know they're watching Netflix. And I was like, how are they watching Netflix? They don't, doesn't your network system in the school block certain websites. And she's like, well, they know like the ways around it. They know how to code and stuff and get around that so they can watch, you know, Netflix while she's teaching. So it's, I mean, how do you, if you're not accountable to yourself as a kid, um, if you're only accountable to your mom or, or only accountable to your teacher, I mean, you have to learn how to, it, it's more, it has to be more internal, I guess, than, than all those parameters. Cause if you're just only answering to your mother, you're only answering to your principal, you're going to find ways around it. Like you were saying. I completely agree with what you agree. guys are saying. I, I will say <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not expecting Katie that at 25, you're going to turn over your login information to your mother. Um, what I will say though, is that, that, the it feels to me that the introduction of kids to this social space is even very different than when you were introduced um, some years ago, and that there there is a need for, in my opinion at least, there's a need for a little bit more hands-on supervision until parents feel like they have successfully established that level of confidence and trust with their kids um, in, in what is an incredibly rapid moving um, app world or online world. Yeah. I completely hear, and I, I sort of appreciate the sense I'm being a little outvoted here, but I will say that, that I think that, that their parents need to think very carefully about, about the level of confidence they do have in their kids um, before they're given unfettered access to social media. Well, I mean, it's the ball concept, you know, really the ball across the street concept. Now that you've proven your point that you are responsible and that you're not going to be sending nasty posts to people and, you know, then, you know, now I don't need your login access anymore because I trust you. Bingo. I I think parents' words have a lot of of weight to kids. I know with mine it did. If I told Katie, I trust you, 
to do this. Then all of a sudden, then that's heavy. You know, that's a heavy coat to wear because now mom's trusting me. How can I possibly do something that would damage that trust? The three worst words in my childhood were, I'm so disappointed. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I don't... You know, I, I, Katie and I talk about this because, you know, Ed's, my husband's dad, he had that with his dad, just a look of disappointment. And I didn't know that I had that, but I don't think I've ever said those words. But Katie said, oh, yeah, you just have that look. And it's just this little, and I'm thinking, wow, that's so powerful, (laughs) you know? Um, (laughs) Well, Lita, and actually, Katie, this is sort of a two-part question. So, Lita, is there anything looking back on it and and kind of reflecting on this conversation, is there anything that you would have done differently? And then Katie, is there anything you wish your mom had done differently? You know, I, I know like a lot of the things that I did were based on articles, you know, or things that were happening. Hey, make sure that you always put your laptop down. Things that I wouldn't think about uh, that I needed to teach the kids. Some of the things I would say was like with virus software, because I always had virus software installed on their systems, but I really did, wasn't diligent about making sure it was updated, that they were running, even though it would automatically run. And sometimes their virus software would get outdated. So I do wish that I had been a little bit better with that, a little bit more on, on just their safety with password choices that they would choose, just so that way they couldn't get hacked. I know that we did talk about things with the the weird emails that you get that they're saying, hey, you won a million dollars. And some of them are, hey, don't forget you you ordered this. Do you want to come and look? And then there's a link to click. So I do. There's some things like that. I just wish I'd talk to them about daily usage of where people are trying to find a way in without you, you know, paying any noticing that it's something that it's not, that it's a fake attempt just to get into your computer. But it is why I always had their systems stand alone. So that way, if they did, you know, get into an issue and it took over their laptop, that it didn't mess up all the rest of the machines in the house. And And that last thing, I used to always go into the kid's school and I'd take those little six laptops in and we'd run a lesson on using PowerPoint or morphing software or recording things. And I look back, I had an opportunity to reach more kids than just my own, whose parents may not have been talking to them about the safety issues online. And I I wish I'd done some of that, to be honest with you. I don't think that there's anything that I missed from how mom taught me about the internet and technology. I think I will be forever grateful that I was introduced to it later than my peers. I think it just developmentally helped my mental health, helped helped me figure out who I was a lot better without relying on spreading myself out over social media at the time. So I don't think that there's anything different. I'm sure that nowadays, that was for the early 2000s, I think she was perfect. But nowadays, whatever she taught me at the time would not be enough, I don't think. I think if you were raising kids now, um, there would be a lot more things that you would need to cover um, to make sure that they're... uh, venturing out, uh, knowing what they're getting themselves into. Well, I think that's actually a really good point. I have absolutely no intention of putting you on the spot, but I was curious as to whether or not your experience with your mother has changed how you might approach technology as a parent at some point. 
I think about that a lot um, since my mom was so knowledgeable at the time um, on technology. I grew up with my mom that knew everything there was to know about how to um, craft uh, a document or MLA. And I mean, I know that's more school oriented, but I never, my mom was all knowing when it came to technology. And although I grew up, I've grown up with technology. So in my mind, I'm like, oh yes, of course, when I have kids, I'll be able to teach them everything they need to know about technology because I, I've, I've been around it my whole life for the most part. But seeing how Gen Z operates with technology that I couldn't even speak their language. I'm scared for when I'm a parent because as versed as I think I am in the technical world, it just it expands so quickly. I don't know where we will be by the time I have kids and what that will even look like parenting wise. Well, hopefully you'll be able to join us at some point in the future and explain how it's going to We actually um, just, Kate, I'll, I'll tell you, Katie, we, we had a teacher on not long ago who was talking exactly that, how she's not that much older than her students. And she said the vocabulary already is utterly changed in mm-hmm. terms of their influencers, the role models, the apps they're using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very sobering stuff. Right. I would not have known how to code my way into watching Netflix at school, <laughs> like how my roommate's right. students do right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, on a similar topic, that that piece of being able to get around the filters at school the students at my school just learned what a VPN was and they download a VPN on their phones and then they were able to do it. And the school district couldn't keep up with all the multitude of VPNs that were out there. And so the way that I approached that with one student is I said, how much are you paying for that VPN service? And she said, well, I'm not paying anything. It's free. And I said, so what does that mean that it's free? And we had the conversation about Mm. if you're not paying for a product, then you are the product. And, and I didn't, I wasn't judgmental. I didn't say you're doing this wrong or anything like that. I just asked her questions about it so that she could come to a conclusion on her own. And she said, well, that sounds awful. I'm taking this app off my phone right now. And then she deleted it right there in front of me. And if I would have tried to force her to do that or said, you have to do it, then she would have said no way. And she would have rebelled. And so Katie, I think the thing that you have going for you is that you already know how to have these conversations because your mom has had them and is continuing to have them with you. And so when you do become a parent or when you're talking to other youth about this, you can confidently say, ask the right questions and say the right things to help people uh, think about it and recognize that it doesn't have to be the way that those 12-year-old influencers in makeup are saying that it has to be. And I think that's a really powerful skill set that you have, Katie. Right. It'd be more about teaching the ethics behind technology than teaching the technology. Exactly. So Katie, I have a question on that. Does your generation care that they have a huge digital footprint, that their photos are everywhere, somebody's tracking their data, no? We think it's too far gone. We've already given up. Because when we got into Facebook in middle school or whatever, and, you know, Riley has his videos out on YouTube, when we were naive, we were naive about it at the time, and now it's already all out there. And so it's it's too late. We've We've all given up. 
Well, Katie, actually, if I can follow up on the point that you were making, one of the ways to approach this, you know, is the saying that I really, I think is valuable that it it's not the technology, it's the behavior, right? Because in mm-hmm. some ways you can't keep up with the apps and you can't keep up with the changes in technology. But what you can do is have a set of core values and behaviors that right. are consistent with how you want to live. Right. And then it doesn't matter what the technology is because it will still reflect who you are as an individual. I totally agree. Mm, that's well, a good point. <laughs> that's it's it's harder to wrap up on a better note than that. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we will we will thank both of our guests. This has really been a wonderful conversation, and and I think some really interesting insights into the role of technology in your family and how you approached it. And I'd like to thank both of you. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Excellent. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, family tech dynamics, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of interesting experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. And we appreciate having you in our audience and look forward to having you join us for our next episode. And thank you especially to Katie and Lita for being here as well. 